Okay. So the Bible says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, verse 7, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will for they think that they will be heard for their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him pray then like this now before i read it the lord's prayer the lord's prayer puts us right in the center of the will of God, no matter what the situation is. It reveals what God's entire kingdom plan for all of us and for all of his church is. And when you really pray it, when you pray it repeatedly, you, you can, I, will, I can tell you this at 100, with 100% certainty, you will most certainly feel the power of God breaking through your flesh, your self-will, to die to yourself and to do God's will. But the Lord's Prayer literally reveals everything that the Lord wants from us and the right attitude that we're supposed to have toward Him and toward each other and toward the entirety of His church. He says in verse 9, pray like this, Our Father in heaven. Now, let's stop right there. Our Father in heaven. Now, notice he says our. Our. Speaking of a body, it's more than one. The church is more than one individual. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about all of us together as his body. And where are we looking up? We're having to humble ourselves and look up to heaven, to our Heavenly Father, in what? In total dependence upon Him. We are acknowledging several things here. We're acknowledging, first of all, that the Bible says that He is in heaven, and where are we? We are on earth. Therefore, He is the superior. And therefore, when we approach Him, there should be a level of humility and not just a, a, you know not just when we pray but there should be a lifestyle of humility but the bible says that he, he says do i not he says heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool he says where is the house that you will build for me he says what kind of house will you build for me he says do not i fill heaven and earth so when we have when we look at the when we say our father in heaven we are acknowledging, first of all, that he is greater than we are. The Bible says God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So we're automatically put in a position of humility and lowliness, just as Jesus did. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that just by the virtue of Jesus being a man, he humbled himself. And so because he is in heaven and we're on the earth, when we acknowledge him as our father who is in heaven, we are acknowledging his superiority, that his will is superior, that his way is superior. Everything about him is superior to us. Therefore, our response to him should what? Be one of humility and one of obedience. And part of the reason why we see what we see today is the, the, because there is a lack of that. There is a lack of humility. There is a lack of recognition of the superiority of God. In Romans chapter 1, he gives the entire history of humanity and how humanity became cursed with homosexuality and cursed with LGBT and cursed with idolatry and all these different things because, the Bible says, for although they knew him as God, they neither acknowledged him as God nor were they thankful. 
So because they refused to acknowledge his supreme, the supremacy of the Lord, that they should obey him, that they should follow him, that they should listen to him and do as he says, what happened? The whole of the world fell. The whole of the world fell. The whole of the world turned to idolatry and ended up becoming cursed with all kinds of sexual immorality and impurity and all the, the base things of the mind. It's as if God was saying, if you're not going to acknowledge me with all your heart, then I'm going to turn you over to your heart. If you treat your own heart and your own will as the highest, then I'm going to show you what that's going to lead you to. And ever since mankind has been following their own heart, we have experienced nothing but physical and spiritual degradation, war, famine, disease, um, poverty, sickness, you name it. Mankind has experienced it because we've seen our heart, we've exalted our heart as the highest, as the highest good, self-indulgence as the highest good instead of being obedient to God. Now he says, our father in heaven. So our father, now who can say that God is their father? That's another thing. When he says our father in heaven, we're not only acknowledging his supremacy, but we're also, it also suggests that there is a group of people who are sons and daughters of God. That's, that's what that suggests. That suggests that there are people who are set apart as sons and daughters of God. So who can say to God, our father, who can say to the Lord, my father who can genuinely say that you know you'll have people who all the time will say oh yeah you know you'll have a somebody who's not even born again they'll say oh yeah you know um yeah yeah uh, I, I god is my father god is my father god is my father but when you look at their life they're living however they want to live now in a general sense in a general sense it is true that as creator, yes, God is the father of everybody, but we're, what we're talking about is in a relational sense. How is God our father relationally? That's the question. How is God our father relationally? Um, and there are two ways that he is our father. First, in uh, John, I mean, uh, John chapter 1, Look at verse um, 9. We're going to look at verse 9 through 13. For John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. John chapter 1, verse 9 through 13. So he is our father. When he's talking about what he's talking about in Matthew 6, verse 9, the our father, he is referring to our the relationship that we have to God, the intimate personal relationship that we have with God. Everybody can't say God is their father relationally. Everybody can't say that. Physically, they can say that, well, sure, yeah, he created me, whatever. But everybody can't say, that's my dad. Everybody can't say that. Who can say that? John chapter 1, verse 9, he says this, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so what are we, so the first group of people who can say, our father in heaven, our father, our, our dad in heaven, hallowed be your name, are those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, and who are in the process of becoming becoming what children of God if I'm becoming a thing what that word means it suggests that there's a transformation that's happening God's children are those who are daily becoming 
children of God. Now, who was the first child of God? Jesus Christ. So if I'm becoming, uh, if we're becoming, becoming children of God, it means that God's children are steadily becoming day by day by day. They're becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's like a, it's like if you talk to a, a child and they say, well, well, what do you want to be when you get older? They say, well, I want to become a doctor or I want to become a lawyer or I want to become an electrician or engineer. Well, if they're telling you that that or just anybody, if they're saying, well, I'm going to school to become this or that. If they're telling you that they're going to become going to school to become that thing, it means that they're not that thing yet. And so they are becoming, they are in training, they are leaving their old ways and habits behind to take on the new ways of whatever job or whatever career they're trying to enter into. They, they shed certain behaviors behind, certain practices. They study the profession. They learn about it. They sit under teachers. Um, they go to school. They do all those things because they are becoming that thing. Now, how does that apply to us in the faith in trying to become children of God like the Lord Jesus Christ? That means that what? We go to school, which is the church. We are listening to godly and holy men and women of God who to, to uh, correct us and guide us. We're listening to, we're reading the scriptures on our own. We're shedding our old ways behind. We are shedding our old ways. We are leaving the old path, the old way of doing things of the previous life, the way that we did things before we come to know the way of Christ. We're shedding that way behind and we're learning to live in the way of Christ Jesus. That is what it means to become. And it's those people who are daily becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ, that these are what? Sons of God. It means people who are being led by the Spirit. As, as the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, he says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. These are the children of God. Those who are daily being led, the, the children of God, those who can say our Father, are those who are no longer living to do their own will. They're living to do his will. They're living to be obedient and, and, and humble and submitted to the will of the most high God. Those are the children of God. So he says, so that's first, those who are becoming like Jesus Christ. And what's number two on this point? This look in your Bibles to second Corinthians. No, yes. Second Corinthians in chapter Second Corinthians in chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter six. Who can say the Our Father? And this is important because one of the things that we 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 want to do is we just don't want to be people who try to claim things that are not true. You know, what we're experiencing today is a lot of fakery, a lot of fakery. There are a lot of people who say that they're Christians who say that they know the Lord, but they really do not. They don't. They allow things into their lives that allow them to fall prey to Satan. There's movies and music and television and and things compromising things that they hold on to that make them fall prey to the devil. And that submit them to the power of Satan, because the Bible says you're a man is a slave to whoever he obeys. And so there's a lot of people who say that they're Christian who are not obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they are not true sons of God. And they allow themselves to fall victim to demonic influence or fall victim to the power of Satan. We have to, we have to, we want reality. And all of us have been there. All of us have been under the, under, under the influence of the, of the enemy at one point or another. And we've had to shed and let go of whatever those things that gave the devil permission to influence our lives like that. We had to let go of those things. So, all right. 
So first thing becoming a son of God means is that we are being transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're daily transforming, daily being set apart, daily following him. All right. The second way that we know that we can call God our father is in 2 Corinthians in chapter 6 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Well, we're going to read through verse 18. <clears throat> in order for me to even become a son of God, in order for me to even do the first part, I've got to first do this part. It's like part B supporting part A. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So automatically, verse 14 tells you that there must be a distinction between people, who's, people who are born again, God's people, and the people who are not. See, what we're looking at today in almost every tradition, every denomination, the Catholics, the Protestants, you name it, everybody is trying to fuzzy that line between saved and unsaved. All the Christian music artists, Kurt Franklin, and you name it, everybody else, they all want to, you know, you they all want to... Uh, be in agreement with the world while trying to uh, call themselves singing about the Lord. And what that does is the Bible always commands us to put a difference between the sacred and the profane. There ought to be a clear distinction. God is all about distinctions, all about distinctions. He is all about telling the difference between two things. Just look at creation. Just look at the law. There's a difference between the sun and moon. There's a difference between male and female. There's a difference between darkness and light. And he makes those distinctions to tell you that there are differences between things and that everything can't just mumble up into one confusing picture. There's a difference between the two. You see in the law, he says a man is not to put on women's clothes. A woman's not to put on man's clothes. You're not to sow your ground with two different types of seed. Um, like, uh, it, it, the apostle Paul says, does not nature tell you that long hair is a disgrace for a man? Uh, men have short hair. Women have long hair. There's a, there's a distinction between these things. You see, God, and that's how God wants things. One more example. You look in Exodus, all those plagues that hit the Egyptians that didn't touch the Israelites, right? He says that there might be a difference between the people of Egypt and my people. The people of Egypt had what? Frogs. They, but the children of Israel didn't. The people of uh, Egypt had flies and gnats and, and uh, children of Israel didn't have any of that. People of Egypt had what? Darkness that could be felt. The people of Israel did not. God is always about making distinctions between two things. Always. Is, but today, because we've become so hedonistic and so satanic, we're trying to just blend it all together into one giant soup mix of religion under the guise of religion. We can just throw Jesus in there with, with homosexuality, throw Jesus in there with Islam, throw Jesus in there with, with uh, LGBT, throw Jesus in there with sexual morality, throw Jesus in there with the, with the secular music and secular whatever. We just try to blend Jesus up into the secular soup and say, oh, well, and expect it to be acceptable to God. It's not. There's a distinction between the two. And that's how God wants it. The, the priest is supposed to put a difference between the sacred and the profane. And that's what we're doing here. And folks don't like it. And I understand that. This is not a, it's not a, it's not a easy thing to accept, but it's the truth. In fact, even the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, he says, because you're not, let me tell you, this is how God feels about this. I'll just one more point on this and we'll move on. I'll tell you about it. When people don't make a difference between a thing, he says um, in uh, Revelation in chapter 3, the church of Laodicea, he says in verse 15, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I know your works, 
You are neither cold nor hot. There's no distinction. Everything is just blended up together. There's no distinction between the two. He says, you're not cold. You're not hot. You're just blah, whatever you are. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would I will, I will, I will, would that you were either cold or hot. You see, God wants you one way or the other. Either you're going to be on, be freezing cold towards him, then he can warm you up. He can set you on fire for him. If you're hot, praise God, he can make you even hotter and make you a great meal or a great drink for him and for other people. He can keep you burning. But if you're neither cold nor hot, then that's, just, that's good for nothing. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold nor hot. Now, so because, verse 16, because you are lukewarm, you, you, there's no distinction in you. You're not holy. You're not unholy. You, don't, you, you say you're saved, but then you, you know, do all these different things. You, all your friends are sinners. Then nobody's saved. You, know, all this, you, you say that you love the Lord. You study the Bible, but then you do whatever you want to do in your private life. Because you're doing all that, all that jumbled up, that, that unclear life, because you're doing that, he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. That means total rejection. That's exactly how God feels about this. Everything that we're looking at in the church today where everybody's trying to mix the sacred and the profane, the unclean and the clean, the unholy and the holy, where it's just all one big confusing mess. When you, What God is going to do with that? He says, I'm going to spit all of that out and all those people who live like that, I'm going to spit all them out too. I'm going to get rid of all of that. I'm going to destroy all that. That's what he's really saying. I'm going to vomit all of that up. I'm going to get rid of all of that out of my body. That's what he's saying. I'm going to put all that out of my body. And that's why, you know, and I've, I've been, you know, I've experienced a lot in my life. I've experienced a lot. I've talked to just about every kind of person you can think of. I've dealt with killers, I've, real killers. I've dealt with drug dealers. I've dealt with prostitutes. I've dealt with people who have, you know, been in the street, thugs, real thugs, real criminals, real people, you know what I mean, who are, who are um, at the bottom of life. And, you know, there's a reason why whenever you find that kind of person in the Bible, the Lord really appreciates them because they're just honest about what they're doing. You know, and that's 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 just, you know, you can't do anything with people who aren't honest with themselves about their situation and about what they're struggling with and and really trying to overcome. They don't try to justify it. You see, I mean, they're just honest. Yeah, I'm in the street, Brother Austin. Yeah, I'm, I'm in this gang. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, I'm selling. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I love money. You know what I'm saying? I love money. They're just straight up about it. You know, and that's that's one of the things that why I'm the way I am is just because, I mean, I, I don't do anybody any favors. My master sergeant told me this before when I was in the military. I don't do anybody any favors by not telling the truth, not even myself. They're just honest. The people on the street, the prostitutes and tax collectors and all those that people that 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 came around Jesus to be delivered. They were just completely honest about their condition and literally came to him to be healed. And that's why they got healed, because they were honest and straight up about things. The tax collector, yes, I love money and cheated people. The prostitute, yes, I'm, I'm whoring around. I'm out here. I need to be delivered. They're just honest about it. And they want to get better. They want to stop doing it. They want to repent. That's why it was, uh, it was, it was those who, um, it, it was that crowd that always came uh, it was that crowd that always came to John the Baptist to get baptized and came to Jesus for deliverance. So anyway, the Lord always makes a distinction between the sacred and the profane all throughout Scripture. So when he tells you in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't be. Meaning that we don't need to be, if I'm going to become a child of God and be able to truly call God my dad and my father, there's some requirements, and one of them is, is that I am not yoked up with the world and yoked up with people who are not saved and who are not trying to follow the Lord. I mean, what good does that do me? What good does that do us spiritually? He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Then he asks a question, several questions. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with? 
with darkness. You see the distinctions. There's righteousness and there's lawlessness. They have nothing in common. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? You've got light and darkness. They have nothing in common. He says, and what accord has Christ with Belial or Satan? They have nothing in common. He says, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? We have nothing in common. <laughs> the believer in Jesus Christ believes he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody else's way is right. Period. That's what we believe. We believe that Jesus is the way, and we don't believe anybody else is the way. Islam is wrong. LGBT movement is wrong. Atheistic science is wrong. Darwinian evolution is wrong. Every other religion, everything else is wrong. That's what we believe. The Christian believes that. What agreement has there as the belief does the believer share with an unbeliever at verse 16? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? What agreement does my temple have with idols? That means things that are that steal my affections away from the Lord. The movies when music and television and media with killing, cussing and sex in it and and immorality and nudity and all this kind of stuff. All that stuff that steals our affections away from the Lord, that has there's nothing in common. That has nothing in common with the temple of God, which is us. We have nothing in nothing to do with that. He says for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. What is God promising? To be our, to be our father, to be with us. He wants to be with us. He wants to be with us all the time. To not only just stand around, but to walk all around us to be in us, to walk around in us, to be among us, for us to be his own. And what's the requirement for that? Verse 17, therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Be separate from them. What? The lawlessness, the darkness, the satanic things, the unbelieving. You can't be, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have dealings with people who ain't saved. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is, is that all your best friends and all your friends shouldn't be unsaved and that you don't need to have non-essential relationships with people who aren't born again because they're going to corrupt you. So he says, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them. You're not participating in their things. You're not going to their things. Instead, they're coming to you to be healed. They're coming to you to be delivered. You see, that's that's how Jesus was the the sinner, the the prostitute, the drunkard, the lawless man. Jesus didn't con Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. I condemn your sin, but I didn't come to condemn you. You come to me to be changed. And when they came into the presence of the Lord Jesus, they changed. Jesus didn't change. That's the thing people forget, too. Folks think that they can just change Jesus and change his teaching. That's not how it works. When people come to the Lord Jesus Christ, they leave changed. We don't leave. He doesn't leave changed. People go to church to get changed, to be born again. They don't go and change the church to fit their lifestyle. No, they go to church and they leave changed, not the church. But he says, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And not only that. And touch no unclean thing. You don't go back. After you leave it, after you separate from the lawlessness, from the darkness, from the satanic things, from the things that cause unbelief, you stay, once you separate from them, then you don't turn back and start touching those things again. You don't do that. He says, then, 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 after I separate and after I touch Stop touching the unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. When do I get to call God my dad? When do I get to call God my father? The one who is relationally close to me, the one who knows my intimate problems and my pains and sorrows and my suffering and, and my joys and the things that I that the, the 
How do I get into that intimate closest where I know his will, where I start thinking his thoughts, where I start feeling what he's feeling? How do I get that closeness and communion with the father? How do I do that? How do I become a son? He tells you, you've got to separate. You got to separate yourself from the world. You got to stop touching the unclean, unholy, unchristlike thing. It means no to ungodliness. That's what it teaches us. Titus in chapter, I think it's Titus chapter two. He says, or chapter two or chapter three, he says, for the grace of the Lord has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And that's what we do. We hold up our hand and say no, no to it. Because why? Because we are sons and daughters of God. And that is the condition. A lot of folks just think I can say a sinner's prayer or I can just go to church or I can just play if I'm, if I'm good at preaching or if I'm good at serving or if I'm, if I'm good at music or if I'm good at, you know, uh, praise and worship or if I'm good at whatever, whatever type of serving in the church. Oh, I cook for the church. Oh, I give money. I donate to the church. Oh, I help clean up the church. I fix it. I do whatever. That, that somehow makes you a child of God. It does not. What makes you and me sons and daughters of God is that we are entirely consecrated to the Lord in full union with the Lord. We are separating ourselves from the world, from the unholy, from the unclean, from the unchristlike. We're separating ourselves from these things to unite to the Lord. That's why the Bible says he has translated you. Think of that word. My God, that word is so powerful. He says he has translated you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. What does that mean? To be translated means that you're you're an entirely God took you. Just think of it like language. Think of it like language. You're in an entirely different language group now. When you're translated, think of Enoch. When the Bible says he was no more, the Lord translated him. That means he went from the the earthly state into a, a brand new heavenly state. He was in an entirely different state and hasn't been back for us. He wants to translate you and me into his kingdom, into his, into Christ likeness. He wants to translate us to where we, we can never go back to being what we were in the past. He wants us to be completely transformed. And that's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, he says, therefore offer yourselves to God as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him. This is your reasonable worship and be, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed into the renewing by the renewing of your mind to be transformed means that you can't go back into a, into what you were in the past. I mean, it's almost like if you take, for example, a, um, if you take a, um, like metal, if you heat up metal, um, and that's or aluminum, for example, and you take that liquid, they like when they're making cars, because most of the cars are made of aluminum mostly. So you take that liquid and you do what? You you heat it up, you you melt it, and then you 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 form it and you shape it into a door. You form it and shape it into into a hood, into a roof, into you form it and shape it. Until it, until it becomes a, 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 the frame of a car. Well, I mean, my goodness, man, that, that, that aluminum can never go back to its liquid state. I mean, even if you burn it up with intense heat, it still won't go back to what it was. In the, originally, it won't. It's forever changed. It's the same thing with like baking a cake and, you know, Leona and, and, and um, and y'all, y'all can identify with this. It's like putting ingredients together to bake a cake. I mean, you once you put the flour in there, the sugar, the yeast, you put your, you know, your egg in there, all your other ingredients in there. Once you get a cake, once the cake is made, that's it. The, those ingredients have been transformed. 
into a cake that's, that everybody can eat. And, and it's never going back. It's never going back. It's never going back to flour. It's never going back to raw egg. It's never going back to sugar, the plain sugar. It's never going back to its base state. It's never going back. You cook an egg, you break it up, you fry it. That egg is never, ever, ever going back to liquid again. It's not. It's been transformed. And that's exactly what the Lord has for us. When he says transformed, it means a permanent change, a permanent forever change. And that's the attitude that we have to have. <clears throat> when we come out from among them to be separate from the separate from the world, to become like the Lord, to serve the Lord, to submit ourselves to him. Then he says, then since you want to be transformed into the image of my son and you're and you're you're separating yourself from me, that makes me your father. Because you're obeying my commandments, you want to accomplish my will in the world. And because you wish to accomplish my will and you wish to do my will and his will is for all of us is the same to be like Jesus because you because you will to do my will. Um, that makes me your father because you listen to me. You see, it's like God is so merciful and so patient with us. It's, it's, it's like this. What makes somebody Lord of your life? What makes somebody your, like, for example, if, 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 I, if I call somebody my Lord, like take those of us who've rented apartments and houses, we know, we know about this full well. <clears throat> we have, we've had landlords. A landlord is somebody who is over the land, which means that they can tell you what to do and they have full access to the home. They can make whatever modifications they want to the home because it's their land. They are the landlord. When they stop, and, and for those of us who are renting their property, that makes them our landlord. If they say you can't do this, you can't do it. If they say you can do a thing, you can do it. If they say they want you to do something in the home, then you do it. Because why? It's theirs. It's their land. Now, what makes you them not your landlord is if you decide to move out. Hey, okay, well, you're not, you're not my landlord anymore. I'm leaving. Boom, you're gone. It's the same thing in our faith. What makes God our father is when we fully submit to him as father, as dad, as Lord. Jesus says, it puts it this way. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? Jesus Christ is only Lord of our lives if we do what he says. He's not Lord otherwise. He's Lord in the absolute sense. Sure, he's Lord of all, period. But the bottom line is that he's not Lord of my life unless I do what he commands me. And it's the same thing with you. It's the same thing with us as a body. Jesus Christ is not your Lord if you're not being obedient to him. If he's not the one who's making the decisions in your day-to-day -day life, if you're out there just doing whatever you want to do, making up your own plans, following your own will, doing whatever you want to do with your life, and then turn around and say, he's Lord, Jesus is not your Lord. He is only Lord to those who do what he says, because that's what a Lord is. A Lord is somebody who gives commands and they're obeyed. That's it. So part B is what supports part A. We must, in order for God to be our father, we must separate ourselves to him. And then when he separates ourselves to him, that's when the transformative work of Christ's likeness begins. It's almost like going to a hospital. I can't get surgery if I don't check myself into the hospital and let them keep me for however long they got to keep me until I can become whole and healed. And it's the same thing with Christ Jesus. We have to check ourselves into God, check ourselves into the Lord and trust ourselves into the Lord and say, Lord, have your way in me. I'm checking into you indefinitely forever. I want you to work on me all the days of my life. Make whatever changes you need to make into my life. Take away from me whatever you need to take away from me. Take away from me whoever you need to take away from me. 
Take away whoever you need to take away from me to become like you, to become like your son. Take away from me the things that keep me from you. De deal with my past bitterness, my past brokenness. Deal with my issues of unforgiveness. Bring up the past. Bring up those things in my mind that I still am dealing with, that I have not forgiven the person for, the past traumas, the abuse, the abandonment, the neglect, my, my horrible experiences, my failures. Lord, bring all that up and deal with me and bring people into my life who will help me become more Christ-like. Take away from these godless friends who don't profit me in the least. Take away from me these godless things that drive me into the arms of Satan. Take away from me all these things, Lord. I'm checking myself into you now so you can work on me and do surgery on me and purge me of all the unholy things that happen. And I'm going through that now, brothers and sisters. And I've, I've been going through it for years. I've been going through it my whole life, in fact. Now that when you realize, now that I, when, you, when I realized it, you know, just like last night, and again, I, I apologize for everything, but that's, that last night was very hard, very hard on your brother. I had, I did pretty much, I did two jobs last night. I had to pass meds and take care of patients, do aid work and put people to bed, do all that, specifically because somebody didn't show up. Two people, in fact, didn't show up. But who was responsible for that? Who's responsible? We had one aide to 42 patients. One CNA to 42 patients. There's no way we could have let, let her do all that work by herself. But who allowed that ultimately? God did. Because God puts you and me in situations to break our stubborn will, to break our hard, hardness of heart. Some of us are wondering why nothing works out, why we can't keep a job, why, why situations always end. We get an opportunity and then it fails. Get another opportunity and then that fails too. Why certain things aren't taken off, why we're not growing, why we're not moving forward. I had to ask myself that question. Why, Lord, why am I not? It's because of our pride. It's because of our stubborn will. The Lord is trying to break us so we can stop doing what we want, what we want to do. And we can only do what he wants us to do and making him our father. I am here to Jesus says in Hebrews chapter 10. I am here to do your will. Oh, my God. And then when we do this, just real quick, because I'm, I'm about to wrap up here. When we do this. When we make God our father in the truest sense through obedience and separation to his will, then what happens? The rest of Matthew chapter 6, 10 through 13, the program of God for all of us can happen. We can hallow his name. We can see that his kingdom is coming. We'll see to it that his will is being done on earth just like it's done in heaven. How, do, how, how is his will done in heaven? The angels always obey and they don't just go to and fro doing whatever they want to do. They obey a command on earth, go back to heaven, say, yes, Lord, I did as you said. What's next? Boom. They're not out doing whatever they want to do. They obey and bam, they're waiting for the Lord. Obedience and waiting for the Lord. That's how his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Then what happens? God gives us our daily bread, meaning he meets our needs and forgive us our debts. He forgives us our sins. And then you know what? When we make God our father and when we're obedient to him and truly submissive to him, then we can forgive debts. We can forgive the wrongs people have done to us, just like our heavenly father has shown us how much he's forgiven us. You see, we can let some of those things go. Let some of those people who don't deserve it, we can let them off the hook and say, hey, you know what? You don't owe me anything. I forgive you. Everything you've done to me is gone. It's wiped out. You owe me nothing. There's no record anymore because my heavenly father, whom I obey and serve, has, has helped me and, and blessed me and gotten close to me and draw me closer to him because all the sins that he's forgiven of mine, he's reminded me of that. So you know what? I forgive you of everything. And then what happens when God is our father in the truest sense? He won't let us fall into temptation and he will deliver us from all evil. He will deliver us from all evil. All of these things can happen when we truly make God our father, 
when we truly see him as dad, that his commands are to be obeyed, not negotiated. His commands are not a suggestion. They are commandments that we are to follow. And when we get into different situations and we're like, well, Lord, what to do now? The question is not whether or not I'm going to obey. The question is, Lord, how am I going to obey? How am I going to do what you say? How am I going to do it? You see? So we want to make God our father. And, the, and, and Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, gives us the kingdom plan of God. That's, that's, it's, it's, it's God's plan. It's God's plan for us while we're here on this earth. If you notice, just about everything that's directed to his prayer, the effect of it is on earth for our good when we make God our father in the truest sense. And we need each other. This is not just an individual thing. That's why he says our father. We have to, in order, it, it implies that there's a group of people who are making the Lord father. And if that group of people is us, if we're truly set, being set apart, if we're truly transforming into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're truly doing that, then we have to keep each other encouraged and hold each other accountable. We have to stop making it so hard for us to say things to each other that are critiquing or that are correcting. We got to be correctable. You know, part of the thing, and I'm going to say this and, and we can stop. One of the things that keeps us stunted in our growth spiritually is the fact that we make it so hard on each other to say anything that that could correct us or set us right. You know, it's like there's this thing, this attitude that, you know, we, we, we have this attitude that can't nobody tell us nothing and that we don't need anybody. to. We're so good. We're so holy. We're so other than that, that nobody can teach us anything. We just become so unteachable, so uncoachable. And so it's hard for a brother or a sister to come to you and say, hey, you know what, brother, sister, I noticed something. I've noticed something. And it's not just one time that you've done this. I've noticed that you've been doing this a pattern of behavior. I want to share with you what the scripture has to say about that. And then let's go together. Let's do better together. You see, we make it so hard. And so because we make it so hard on each other to, to say anything, we stay in the stay behind. We stay outside of the will of God. We don't grow. We wonder why God is not intervening in your life. We wonder why God is not blessing. Why God, we don't hear his voice. We don't see him moving. We don't do any. We can we're praying, 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 but we're not getting an we're not getting an answer. Well, that's because we're praying to an idol. We're not praying to the true God. And when we when we do, when we give our lives to idols, that's who you pray to. You're praying to an idol. When you submit yourself to idolatry, when your affections are taken away from the Lord to something else, what you are praying to is an idol. Unless your prayer is, Lord, deliver me from this sin of idolatry that I'm committing. If we're if we're living a life, if we're practicing any kind of sin, if we're making a habit of any kind of sin then that sin is our God. God stops listening. And all we're praying to is that, that thing. God is not listening to that prayer until we repent. That's the only prayer the Lord wants to hear. Lord, I want to stop sinning. And then after that, the relationship can be restored. But we've got to do a better job of being coachable. We've got to do a better job of, of being more open to correction so we can make God our Father as a group, we need each other, y'all. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other so much. And your deliverance, whether you like it or not, is going to come through a man. God is always going to use a man to help you and to push you to the next stage. It's all throughout the scriptures. God uses people. You're not going to get it all one-on-one -on -one with God. It's just not how it works. It's not how it works. Get that out of your head. It doesn't work like that. So let's let's go together. Let's go together under the fatherhood of God and be obedient to him and to do his will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, we thank you for this word. Heavenly Father, give us the grace and the courage. Give us the grace and the courage 
to separate ourselves to you completely. When everybody else is doing what displeases you in the group, Lord, may we do what pleases you. When everybody is talking foolishness and talking about worldly things and secular things, Father, give us the courage to talk about Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah. Father, when everybody else is, is practicing sin and, 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 and not, not taking a stand for you, Father Heaven, Father, we pray that even if we're standing alone, Father of Heaven, that we would take a stand for you. Father, I pray when all these other groups, so many other groups, Lord, don't care about living for you, don't want to work together, don't want to follow, don't want to go together as a group, want to be independent, want to be individual. Father, we pray that instead we would go together as a group, on an arm and arm into your heavenly kingdom, Lord. We pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And brothers and sisters, I encourage you, pray that prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer throughout the whole day. You know, God, may, God always makes things so simple for us. Pray that prayer throughout the day and watch how the Holy Spirit moves on you. I've been, I've been doing this for a little while now. And, I, I can, and after, after praying it throughout the day, I can feel the power of the Holy Spirit breaking through to where I can handle things. Whatever situation comes, I'm in the Spirit and not in the flesh. I can handle situations that are going wrong with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, because of the power of the Spirit. Pray that prayer throughout the day, all throughout the day, not just once or twice, all throughout the day. Pray it throughout the day and watch what I tell you, how God works. I love you. I miss you guys. Um, we're going to pray also for Pastor Freeman, our, our leader, our teacher. Lord, we pray for him, Father of Heaven. We pray for his trip to Liberia. Please be with him, Lord, and protect him on his mission. Keep him safe, Lord. Help him, and, and, and um, I pray just for healing for the family, Father of Heaven, through this horrible loss uh, of, of our dear brother, Father of Heaven. Please touch the family and bring everybody together, Father, under you. We pray for healing, Father of Heaven, and that so we could get to the bottom of what exactly happened. But please keep our leader and our pastor safe, Please bless him and touch him. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.